0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 of the Platform to Perform podcast. This podcast is for coaches, athletes and anyone looking to perform at their highest level. If performance is your goal, we aim to provide you with the platform to perform. I'm your host Todd Davidson and on today's episode I'm going to be talking about considerations for the youth female athlete. So first off, I want to talk about why strength and conditioning considerations for the youth female athlete Or even a thing. So, firstly, it's important to know that youth athletes are not miniature adults, and there are several reasons for this. Firstly, youth athletes do not have the same energy system profile that adult athletes have. Youth athletes are a lot more aerobic in nature, which is why, or for me, is almost where the phrase keep up with the kids comes from. Kids can go pretty much all day, or any parents will certainly testify to that. And the reason is their aerobic system is highly well developed. So they are very good at sustaining that intensity for long periods of time. Where they struggle, however, is when it comes to uh, short intervals or explosive bursts. So that's one reason why youth athletes are different. Specifically in relation to youth female athletes, Girls tend to have wider hips than boys simply because of their childbearing capabilities. What this means is they are at greater risk of knee injuries, such as anterior cruciate ligament um, tears, simply because they have something called a greater Q angle. The Q angle is the angle between your uh, it's the line of pull drawn from your anterior superior iliac spine, or in layman's terms, the front part of the front bony part of your pelvis, at the front of your body, and the Q angle goes from this ASIS to the patellar tendon, or for simplicity's sake, the kneecap. The larger this angle is, the greater the chance of there being a lateral or a sideways pull on the patella. This means that the kneecap can be pulled sideways more easily, and this may may predispose youth female athletes to a greater risk of knee injuries. Due to this increased Q angle, female athletes going through puberty tend to adopt more quad dominant landing strategies. What I mean by this is the hips don't really bend that much, whereas the knees uh, uh, shot forward. There's nothing wrong with the knees being over the toes, but if the hips don't move back in order to help accommodate this, this is where we're putting greater stress on this structure. So first things first, female athletes who may be at greater risk of ACL injuries than their male counterparts, need to be taught how to land well and they may well find that or you may well find that they need to spend longer in a landing mechanics phase of a jumping or plyometric program um, compared to their male or pre-pubertal counterparts the the need for girls to perform structured strength and conditioning or neuromuscular training in my opinion is more so or needs to happen more so for bo- girls rather than boys, and this is because girls typically enter their growth spurt at an earlier age than boys. What this means is that movement mechanics or their ability to coordinate their own where their limbs are in time and space is going to be affected a lot sooner than boys, so therefore, they need this base level of movement skill, in my opinion, to be de- developed sooner than boys interesting paper from uh, Greg Myers coming out of the Cincinnati hospital found that as girls uh, tend to go through puberty the quadriceps strength tends to increase and the hamstring strength doesn't really go with this so what this feeds into again is a quad dominance which again can affect uh, a landing mechanics sorry and again can put greater stress on the knee so you may find that you need proportionally more posterior chain type exercises. This is stuff like deadlift variations, uh, hip thrusts, anything that's going to work, the glutes and the hamstrings. When girls go through puberty, you're also asking them to control a larger skeleton. The increased height and fat mass that go with this, obviously, increase in height, mean that female athletes not only have a larger frame to control, but a longer one, too. So again, another reason to start neuromuscular training earlier, teach girls how to squat properly, how to lunge properly, how to land properly. Do this ideally at prepubertal ages, give them half a chance when they're going through puberty. Interestingly, as well, as women's hips get wider and they put more mass on, the joint laxity increases at the knee. So the knee may become a little bit more unstable. And obviously with this larger frame, heavier frame and longer frame, this only adds to the risk of ACL injuries. The ACL is a key stabilizing ligament in the knee. So when that is put at risk, obviously devastating injuries have a more likely chance of happening. Women also have a decrease in aerobic power since the heart and lungs do not adapt at the same time and speed that um, the women or that girls tend to increase in their mass. So since VO2 max or the ability to utilise oxygen is measured per kilo of body weight, if you have somebody whose uh, frame increases in size, but their ability to pump uh, oxygenated blood around the body doesn't increase in line with this, naturally VO2 max will go down. A good analogy I like to use in terms of girls training uh, pre-puberty is if you have somebody who, for example, has had driving lessons and they've had this in a mini and then you ask them to drive a Range Rover. Whilst this may take a little bit of adjusting to in terms of using a bigger vehicle and navigating a bigger vehicle, at least you've had experience driving the car. If you are somebody who has never performed any strength and conditioning, so they don't know how to squat, they don't know how to lunge, they don't know how to land. They've had no experience of body awareness or putting their knee in the right place at the right time. And then you ask them to control a larger frame at higher speeds. This is the equivalent of telling someone who's never had driving lessons that they best start learning in a Range Rover. So, again, we want to make sure that our female athletes only have to make minor adjustments to a larger frame rather than it all be like something new to them. The next factor to consider is the menstrual cycle. First things first, there will never be a one-size-fits-all approach because the menstrual cycle is a highly individual thing. Interestingly, it's been shown to affect strength and endurance athletes differently. Key performance indicators such as VO2 max and lactate threshold remain relatively constant throughout the menstrual cycle. So effectively, regardless of the stage of your menstrual cycle that your female athletes find themselves in, you can still pull a personal best in endurance sports. Paula Radcliffe, I believe, if I remember correctly, broke the marathon world record two days into her menstrual cycle. However, if you're doing sports that involve reaction time, uh, neuromuscular coordination or manual dexterity so things like ball sports if you're doing this in the premenstrual phase it will likely be harder and it's more important to keep your head in the game. Now depending on what phase you are at this may to a certain extent dictate your uh, what you should or possibly could be doing in the gym so week one uh, this is your early follicular phase of the menstrual cycle this is when you will likely be at your strongest Whereas week four, so towards the end of your menstrual cycle, this is the late luteal phase, you will likely be at your weakest. An interesting paper from Sung et al, 2014, found that they, so basically what they did, they had two females and they had, they matched them for volume of work, but they just changed what part of the of what phase the women were at in their cycle when they were exposed to a strength training stimulus. Interestingly, the women whose legs did more volume in the follicular phase, so that's the early phase where you're more likely to be strongest in your menstrual cycle, these women gained more strength, which was measured by maximum isometric force, and more muscle size, mes- measured measured by muscle cross-sectional area, than those who did more volume in the luteal, or the late phase, even though they did the same amount of uh, total volume. Now, I'm not saying that... Tomorrow you need to go and find out where your female athletes are at in their menstrual cycle and start changing your program based on this. But I am saying it's worth taking into consideration. It's also worth uh, it's also worth considering how much or how uh, effective your relationships are with your female athletes. If you're a male coach working with female athletes, then broaching this situation might be somewhat difficult however it's worth normalizing it to this extent where it's no different to for example if you're having a heavy session after a poor night's sleep or a poor recovery and in my opinion it should be made it should be a conversation that you feel comfortable having now you might not be at that stage yet that's obviously perfectly fine but again worth keeping it worth something worth keeping in mind interestingly one of my favorite or my most interesting observations about my experience with male and youth athletes is that male and female drivers are different now i'm not saying that this is the same for all male or female athletes all i'm simply saying is there tends to be a difference so female athletes may gain confidence from seeing their competitors make mistakes and female athletes have a host of things that negate their confidence that doesn't typically exist in male athletes When I went to a workshop hosted by a psychologist from the English Institute of Sport, she profiled women who were in the top three in the world for their sport. And some of the quotes that the women were coming out with was, for me as a male coach, almost shocking. So in elite level sport, obviously strength and power tend to be quite important. However, there was women who, or female athletes, should I say, who were worried about what their competitors looked like and the fact that they felt like their female competitors simply looked better than them. And they lost confidence as a result of this. Now, again, I'm not saying as a male coach, you need to start praising uh, the way your female athletes look. But again, worth considering that how an athlete looks will affect how they feel and how they feel might affect how they play. Other male-female differences that exist are that the fibre type composition is typically different between women and men. There's a reason why the world record in the women's 100 metres is uh, very close to the male under 16 100 metre world record. Men tend to be able to innovate more muscle fibres than women, again, mainly because they tend to have more muscle fibres in the first place. And again, whilst this is a generalisation, women tend to be more slower twitch dominant than men. Slower twitch fibres have properties that are better suited for endurance type activities due to their characteristics and properties that help with oxygen delivery. Since women tend to be more slower twitch dominant, they may not be able to stress their muscle fibres and the nervous system the way a more explosive athlete might be. With this in mind, they may well recover more quickly between sets. And in the same time period, may find they can actually get more work done than their male counterparts. And with this in mind, they may be able to tolerate a greater frequency of work or even a greater volume. So to summarise, the coaching implications for me when it comes to dealing with youth female athletes is that relationships are even more critical. Obviously, for a female athlete to feel um close enough or like she trusts her male coach enough to talk about the menstrual cycle for me is a really big deal i would also say that by and large female athletes tend to be more concerned with what's best for the group something i tend to use uh, is tactical exercise substitution so i try to get girls working with their partners where possible so for example uh, rather than something like a suitcase carry which i tried implementing into all the girls programs at the school that i'm currently at just didn't work However, the girls had no problem with doing what I call single arm partner wheelbarrows. So this is where one athlete is in a push up position plank. So the top of the push up position, the other athlete grabs one of their legs. So basically the athlete standing up has to work against antilateral flexion to avoid bending towards the side that the uh, leg is on. And the athlete who is in the one legged push up position has to avoid rotating their pelvis to fall towards or away from the side that's being held and for me volume is king for female athletes especially where the upper body is concerned i would much rather and this is just a personal thing but i would much rather my female athletes get up to say a set of 10 on something like a bent leg inverted row than be doing sets of one in something like a banded chin-up because female athletes tend to be able to recover better than men uh, in my opinion there's not a problem giving female athletes a little bit more volume than you might give your male athletes Posterior chain work, so stuff for the hamstrings and glutes, may require more of a focus, but don't confuse quad dominance with having quad strength. Just because a female athlete may show more quad dominance does not mean you need to back off the quad strength completely. And landings, you may have to find yourself spending significantly more time on landings, especially when it comes to single leg training, than what you might do for male athletes. Again, for the reasons of the larger cue angle and female athletes perhaps finding it harder to control the positioning of their knees. And finally, I would start neuromuscular training earlier. So any training that is focusing on body awareness and where the body is in time and space and using the right muscles in order to do this earlier than boys, simply because the growth starts earlier. So you've got to get that work in much sooner than what you would perhaps need to do with uh, male athletes. Again, in terms of our big rocks, posterior chain, more volume, focus more on landings, smaller rocks such as stuff like the menstrual cycle is not going to be what should be dictating your entire programme but definitely important to think about when it comes to considerations for the strength and conditioning programme of the youth female athlete. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening to episode number two of the Platform to Perform podcast with myself, Todd Davidson. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, feel free to leave me a review on iTunes. And if you're in a position to support the podcast or you simply want to access strength and conditioning programs and other content I've made over lockdown, then you can head over to my Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash todd davidson p2p coaching equally if you'd like more access to my blogs and other podcast content then you can head over to my website at www.p2pcoaching.co.uk i'm excited to announce the guest for next week which is going to be none other than rio paralympic gold medalist will bailey i'll catch you again in the next episode